Hi, Tracy. Hi, Sharita. How are you? I'm great. Just relaxing here at home with my armchair and my candles. I have my skull and my, my vinyl record player, photographs of friends and family. Christmas cactus, which is flowering a bit, but not enough to be dramatic. That's what you want in a cactus, you know, a little bit, but not too dramatic. Wouldn't it be absolutely fantastic if when we're not around in the desert, these cactus, cacti are like having these like incredible displays of flowers and they all change colours and they glow in the dark and stuff. But it's only when we try to observe it that we don't see it. Kind of like the whole theory behind the only reason that we can't get ghosts on tape is because they know when we're trying to get them on tape and therefore they're very elusive, these ghosts. And I am, I am feeling a bit silly and joking about this one because this genuinely makes me feel scared. You got scared. We're talking about the Enfield um, Poltergeist BBC documentary called The True Story. And uh, at the time that it was aired back in 1979, there were strange happenings in Ponder's End in North London. And um, <laughs> I just think this is the funniest thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I, I know that you're genuinely terrified by this, but this is another one of those like all hell has broken loose. There is a single mother with two children in this estate and there is strange knocking in the night that the children can't explain. Is this just an elaborate hoax to get away from maybe a bit of nighttime activity with mammy? Maybe? No, you don't think so? No, and you know me now, and I, I've joked my way through just about everything, Ghost Hunter and Ghost Hunt, and I love horror, and I watch The Omen with Gregory Peck on my own every single Halloween night, on my own in a very old house, quite happily with the fire on and candles, and it's spooky, and so I watch all these things, and I love getting a bit of a fright from them, but this one, this one really scares me. But the reason I think why I found this so entertaining is more got to do with the narrator and the English accent and the, how very British a haunting this is. For example, the walls of the house rattle with the impact of flying objects and the sound of mysterious knockings. This is setting the scene in Ponders Lane, North London. So there's a lot of these kind of unexplained mysterious knockings in the night, which could be like basically like sex outside of marriage. Right. I'm just saying that straight up. That's probably what I think this might be. Right. But the kids are like, we're hearing these weird knockings and what's going on? Call the police. So <laughs> Someone rings up the police and says somebody is knocking on the walls in the middle of the night. Come out and have a look. The police rock up. And this is in the 70s. The late 70s in London, the police rock up and they're like, oh, no, that armchair is moving across the sitting room. And I looked on top and I looked underneath and I looked all around and there's no strings. Why is that armchair moving around the place? And then the narrator says, in the absence of a law against chairs moving on their own, the police were powerless to act. So, so they call this paranormal expert and electronic engineer and inventor Morris Gross. The words Morris Gross are said several times in this documentary and at one point Morris Gross asked the poltergeist to say his name in this documentary. So his name is said a lot. It's like as if he wants people to remember his name. It's very odd. They do some kind of fake 
recreations where Morris Gross is behind the door and a slipper, which would be lightweight enough, flew across the room to Morris Gross as he was holding the door. As I am holding the door, the white slipper has dramatically flown across the room. You know, and it just seems to be very powerful magnets and electronic engineer inventory. Well, I don't know, Sharita. This is from the person who was terrified of Ghostwatch. Like, I, I did refuse to watch it for this episode. You didn't watch it? I've watched it so many times, so I, but I'm not watching it again. Well, what's your take then? Why is this so terrifying to you? I think um, because it was probably one of the first. I mean, the, it, it caught so many people's imaginations. I mean, there's a reason why it was, you know, brought into the conjuring. Like when you take every single real or fake haunting, reported haunting from around the world, why is the Enfield haunting the one that everybody's gone? That's the one. Because there's a lot of alluding to scientific evidence. You didn't have a guy who was coming down from the society of paranormal what are they called but you did you have that everywhere do you yeah I, I don't think at this time you would have you would have you had that's why the amityville horror that all of that stuff you had it everywhere that's poltergeist the movie you had the paranormal expert this is what he was saying was like that this happened in 1977 and then morris gross came back and kind of said that a lot of hollywood movies were directly based off what happened in the Enfield poltergeist. I do know that this went on to inspire Ghostwatch, which was f- phenomenal, just pure, absolutely brilliant. Um, and it has inspired, as you said, The Conjuring and other various... It has a real impact on the horror genre, we'll say. But it always is that notion of three women in... First of all, we've discussed this before, I think, you know, it's like there's nothing more terrifying than a young woman having a period for the first time. That's apparently terrifying to the sense that you will come back from the dead and start rearranging the furniture in the house when you see a young woman is about to menstruate in a house that you previously died in. This is a terrifying thing. The second thing that is terrifying is three women living under the same roof. This in Fado Fado back in the day, Fado Fado is the Irish for ago long long ago right so long long ago three women in the same room they used to refer to that as a coven (laughs) so like here you are and now you're in north london and it's the late 70s and morris gross devotes his leisure time to um investigating the paranormal and now he has all these instruments and he's using science to prove that this exists i think to be honest with you the one thing that was scary comic for me in this was that it seemed to be focused on the young girl Janet who would sit like this and appeared to be talking in a weird accent but um they kept on saying you couldn't do that for a sustainable length of time without getting you know a pain in your throat and that they had scientifically measured her and that she wasn't making this noise that it was some other noise it was something different it was out of this world yeah it's just funny to me that you were terrified by ghost watching yet you're not by the Enfield haunting it's clumsy is the thing it's supposed to be clumsy. Filming something real is always going to be clumsy if it were polished. Like when you look back now at Ghostwatch, it's deliberately disjointed here and there and jumping back, but it's still very, very polished. So you know it's studio recorded. I, for me, it looked like it was. This is the BBC documenting what's supposed to be a haunting and they have got 
fake recreations and they have all the time in the world to do whatever they want to do with the material and people have considered and can edit what's been said and all that kind of stuff but the way that this is told is is the words the languages the language that Morris in particular that Morris Gross uses it's very I didn't at any point believe that this actually happened it doesn't even seem sinister to me. It's fairly evident. But you're criticising the reporting of it rather than the story itself. No, it's 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 the actual event itself, not necessarily the reporting of it. It's the way he represents himself. I don't find him credible at all. Yeah, but he's one element of the story. He's not the story. He's the recording of the story or the, the coming in after the story. I do fundamentally believe that what happened here was premarital sex. I believe that at the time they filmed it originally in 1977, the mother was ill in bed and she wasn't available for the documentary. So they they interviewed her brother and his wife and the next door neighbour, Peggy and Vic. And there was two Peggy's in it and that was a bit confusing. But then you kind of figured it out. And they interviewed the two young girls. And I just didn't find any of it at any point to be believable. You're entitled to your opinion. I just, I wouldn't watch it again. And I've watched everything and laughed. And I just think for Halloween, it's a good one if you want to watch something a little bit out there. You know, there was a poltergeist across the road for me, allegedly, across the road for me back in the late 90s. And they too called the police. And apparently a nun who had a child had been living in that house and she had died in that house. And now there was a newborn baby in that house. And TV started getting broken and stuff started being thrown around the house and the neighbours were very concerned and the family was very concerned and it made the RTE news and it was a big thing. <laughs> it's literally across the road from where I live. That's something I would question hugely. What is it about the Enfield poltergeist that gives you the heebie-jeebies? I think just the the footage itself, like the um, because it's not just his footage, it's also the news station's footage like they have a different they have lots of different people it's a lot of it's not one guy it's the organization and the coverage and the different reports and then the different journalists who are weighing in on it it was just it just has all the spooky elements for me it almost doesn't matter if it's real or not it gives me the spooks something happened but it's not to say that there was a haunting there was just a happening of something occurring and 17 people were drawn into saying that this is legitimately a voice from the beyond. But something happened, you believe, to these 17 people. You just can't articulate. You don't know if it was paranormal. Well, I think it was. But that's, I mean, that's, I've looked at all of these things and laughed and said, that's no way that that's a joke. That's a hoax. That's a hoax. That's a hoax. And for this one, I don't know. It's just spooked me a bit. We come from from an island where in the 80s do you remember the moving statues yeah but i'm coming from the same island looking at the, all the different stories it's just the rest of them don't do it for me this is the one that does well this is what i'm asking you specifically is that the moving statues phenomenon for our listeners who don't know are where suddenly there was a lot of reportings can that seemed to happen around the same time where a lot of people were reporting that they were praying at a statue of the Virgin Mary and the Virgin Mary seemed to move. And there was up and down the country, there was a lot of these sightings and it was a phenomenon that happened over a summertime in the 80s. And it went on for three months. And like a lot of people, Paulo Coelho did a documentary on it. It was just this, something happened there. And then the question mark was, what happened to the Irish people there? Or what happened to, you know, the people who reported it and what, what actually happened when they were discussing it? And what actually happened 
did these statues move? Was it paranormal? Was it some kind of a gift from God? What exactly went on? So is this what you're saying is that with the Enfield, when it really doesn't matter what happened, you believe that it was paranormal? The moving statues thing is complete bollocks, but was great crack. Yeah. More to do there with religious hysteria than paranormal activity. It had to do with, you know, the nuns were behind it. The, the priests were behind it. They were praying at every grotto around the country. Well, that was a completely different thing, but it was mass hysteria, absolutely. And it did last for three months. And it's great crack. I mean, to look back on it, it's fantastic. Um, I heard Tommy Tiernan actually say if he wanted to see the definitive documentary made on that, that that would be brilliant watch, which it absolutely would be. We need more of those, actually. I mean, retrospectives on collective Irish hysteria. They'd have digital footage, they'd have archival footage, and they'd have perspective from now, which I think would make it an excellent documentary. But but like that, is this is what happened in Enfield at this time where 17 people felt that there, something paranormal had occurred or maybe it did occur. What made this so special was that they had he had recordings of it and people for the first time were able to hear the voice of this ghost. And she was able to like Janet was able to. Well, Janet happened to be either caught being possessed while on tape. Or you know what I mean? It was like it just seemed to actually occur in front of the eye of the viewer, whereas previously they wouldn't have seen it. The fact that the 1977 audience wouldn't have been as sophisticated as we are now and may not necessarily have figured out that it's possible for an electronic engineer to have done this back at that time. Or is it genuine? I don't know. I'm sceptical. I, I understand you're not. Well, no, I, it's not that I'm not sceptical. I mean, it's just that I'm saying that Everyone was recording everything. You had Walkmans, you had tape recordings, you had video, you had all that was happening. It's not like it was back in the dark ages. You know, people could judge for themselves. But the fact remains that that particular one haunting out of thousands around the world has influenced many, many, many horror movies of our time for a reason. The, I mean, The Conjuring and all that. I mean, when they could choose any story. There are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of stories every year. You know, this one, for some reason, resonated with a lot of Hollywood producers, writers. This was the first one that took place in a housing estate. And they, they widely kind of say it's the first documented case. No, I, do, I just don't agree with you. I think that everyone claims to be the first documented case and there are loads of them. But why do you think this one then? There was just elements to this that really scared me and I'd seen lots of other things before I saw this and there was just something about this one for me I watch them all and I love watching them I get thrilled and you do too I know you're a horror fan as well I sat through it with you and you were terrified out of your mind I just laughed through the whole thing I that's usually what I do it makes me laugh but it makes me scared but it makes me happy this one just doesn't make me happy and I can't really tell you why yeah I don't know, for me, all the elements are in place for me not to believe it. Like, it's to the point that you can weigh it up. And it, it just seemed very strange. But, I don't know, I just find Morris Gross is not... Like, Morris Gross himself lost a child called Janet. And, you know, and things like that. They just... It doesn't seem... I don't know. It just... To me, it doesn't ring through. It is a good watch. It is a good one to watch at heart. At, like, you know, at... 
Halloween time. It is definitely a good one to watch, even if just to know what effectively is the origin story of lots of the horror that you've come to know and love because it is used over and over and over again. The idea of this contemporary modern horror story as it was at the time. The Enfield poltergeist has influenced apparently Ghostbusters um the poltergeist itself the exorcism loads of different kind of um horror things that um apparently are all led back to this or point this has been an influence in the writing have you any that um if you like this you like not really because the others make me laugh maybe nightmare on elm street that was scary yeah i agree that was scary based on a real person did you know that Mm-mm. And also that they it just made you afraid to go to sleep. So it fundamentally attacks something that makes you safe on a daily basis. <laughs> Recently, I don't know why, but I really like Cell. Like that idea that you can become a zombie through your phone. <laughs> I know, I know. I wish I could get into those. I just haven't gotten into any zombie stuff. Really at all? None? Well, 24, 24 hours later is definitely one of the better ones. It looks like we're facing into Halloween in quarantine at the moment in Ireland. We're in what's called level three. But Tracy, now, because we haven't actually spoke to our listeners at all since this whole um, coronavirus thing has taken over the universe, or at least this planet that we're on. And um, tell us about some of the positive things that you learned when you started going into lockdown period first and then coming out of it, maybe. You know what? You're not... In Ireland, of course, we're a pub culture. So we're not a we're not able to be in the pub every night. We can't be. We're supposed to cut down our contacts. There's something good about that <laughs> in a way. So you can't sort of, you know, you can't stay there past, is it 11.30 or 11 p.m. at night? You you don't have to make an excuse that, oh, I'm driving or oh, I need to be up in the morning to leave early. Connecting with friends, because you put something on the long finger and you say, Oh, I must connect with this person, but I haven't talked to them in, you know, nine months. Whereas lockdown, you kind of said, no, what are you doing Sunday? You're not, I know you're not going anywhere because we're all in our living rooms and we've nothing else to do. So how about we have a video chat and catch up properly? And I kind of liked that. And the caring about people, everyone was caring. What about you? We started kind of early on when it was fairly severe and we could only move within three kilometers of the house. We started exchanging scones. So I bake scones and I delivered them to my friend that was within the three mile, three kilometer radius. And then every now and then there'd be a surprise on my doorstep. And we started doing this kind of gift exchange. I live quite close to the hospital. So there was a lot of cases just across the road in the hospital. So there was a lot of like vacant houses that, um, students had left because it kind of happened in March and everyone just went home and left college and they all started working from their kitchen tables um, doing whatever their school work or the college work was so as the houses lay empty the nurses started to fill up these houses and rent out rooms and I used to go and buy tulips and anywhere that we knew there was nurses staying there we delivered the tulips and leave them at the door in a big three litre Ziploc bag on your vase you know this kind of stuff like and um, so like and all the neighbours kind of got together collectively and we'd light candles in the window like the whole nation was to kind of show our appreciation. You know, that was quite kind of quite nice. Um, My French friend said that her favourite part of it was learning how to bake bread. She used to call it the pandemic. 
um, French, um, the French word for bread is pan. So um, this was hilarious for all of you who speak French. <laughs> um, but I think one of the good things was I got to spend more time with my dog. And, you know, I mean, things like, you know, you caught up with the laundry and you tidied up the spare room and you did all the painting and everyone's house looks fabulous now, you know. But like you said, I found an opposite thing whereby I was never free at the weekends because I was always calling someone. I always had a table quiz. Nobody wants to do any more table quizzes anymore. But I had a family table quiz. I had a friends table quiz. I had like people I was catching up with and people from all over the world. How's it going there? I'm in whatever place, you know. So, yeah, there was a real like people reached out like people I hadn't heard from in a while and people I heard from last week. We saw a lot of businesses diversify and offer a delivery service. They'd offer a click and collect service. And I started, you know, because I had to do that, I had to plan what I was going to eat. And I really got into cooking actually proper fruit and veg. So I used to get my veg ordered and I used to get my meat ordered. And so then I wasn't going into the supermarket and just like literally going to the crisps aisle and taking all the crisps off the shelf and putting them into the trolley. Like, and have you had a moment where you forgot to wear a face mask or... No, but I was kind of hyper vigilant because I was watching numbers since last December. But I was kind of writing on the top of my business diary every morning the number of overall cases. Um, And then all of a sudden it started to go to number of cases in Italy. Then it was just getting closer and closer. And then it was first case in Ireland in March. In the end, I, I don't know. But all we can do is keep washing our hands and sanitizing and masks. Don't touch your face. I've touched my face about 50 times. That's the one thing about this is like the, I can't believe how much I touch my face. And even your man, Gunn, wouldn't have known that the the, the fashion item of 2020 was going to be a face mask. Um, I saw a really elegant lady last week in Galway and I was, I was walking through the city wearing my face mask actually because it felt a little unsafe to take it off in the city centre so I, I put it on. And I was walking down kind of a back laneway and she was walking up, which is why I noticed her so much, because if you're on a busy street, you don't notice people as much. But she was wearing super high pink heels and a pink, gorgeous, elegant evening gown and a shawl and then a pink face mask. Amazing. And I kind of thought, oh, maybe it actually can work that we accessorize properly with them. Um, One of the things... Now, don't tell anyone this, Tracy, but one of the things I started to do in the beginning when I was going out was I just put the makeup on like from here up. <laughs> Saved an absolute fortune. I didn't have to put any makeup from like the nose line, like, you know, just above the nostrils up. When we started, I started going on blind eights. Did I tell you about this? Blind what? Blind eight, <clears throat> as in eat in the past tense. So what happens is like, you text them five ingredients. They text you five ingredients. You've no idea what the five ingredients are. So it's blind, right? Then you cook yourself dinner with these five ingredients and you eat them on your blind date through a Zoom call. With random people? With random people. That's interesting. <laughs> so if if you didn't want to cook it yourself, could you get a friend to cook it and deliver it to you? Of course it could. Of course it could. That's what I would do. You could fake it. You could totally fake it. Like, we don't see you make it. That sounds like a lot of work, but what else are you going to be doing in lockdown? Yeah, well, we're not in lockdown now. You know, there's some restriction of movement, but not that much. Mm, I don't know. We are, we are in a way, because we can't leave our county, so we're locked down from doing that. 
and yeah. and then of course the numbers are not good so tomorrow we'll bring another series of restrictions yeah. but i do have a really important question for you yeah because i see you sipping your botanical water there yes my elderflower presse and botanical triple distilled water yes and i'm wondering is this news <clears throat> now i mean are, have you veered away from your raspberry tea staple I am going with um, this the whole time now. Really? Yeah. I, I think it's better for me overall. I find actually that my sinuses act up when I drink red wine. Oh, okay. It does tend to do that sometimes. Mm. What are you doing for Halloween? That's a good question. I'm going to dress up and sit in my sitting <laughs> room. I like Halloween, as everyone knows, but one of the things that happened this year was quite by happenstance. I got these, they're kind of sensor-enabled plastic cats. They're cat size, but they're skeletons, right? And they are in a sitting position with their mouths open, but they have a sensor at the back of their, like basically out through their mouth. So if there's a motion sensor and there is a noise sensor. So if it, if it senses noise or if it senses motion, it will start going like this. And the lights in the eyes, they flash red. Right. So I mounted each side of the window at the front of the house. I've mounted one to the left and one to the right. So they're like gargoyles that are sitting to the left and the right of where my dog sits in the middle and looks out the window. And I was coming home from work one day and my dog doesn't like cats. And a cat ran by the back of where I was parking my car and he started to bark. And it was then that I realized that when my dog barks, the two cats go and their eyes light up. And then when it's dark, it just looks hilarious. And of course, the dog looked, the cat looked over at the dog, which normally he wouldn't even flinch an eye. But he heard these other two cats screaming and he took for the hills. He went booting it down. Like, oh my God, what's going on? It was so funny. It did happen last night when I was watching. I'd watched Ghost Watch and I went up to bed. So I was in bed. Charlie was in his dog bed and I heard the cat screaming downstairs in the sitting room and I just kind of went, I don't even want to go downstairs. So Charlie, of course, was already downstairs and checking out and barking or whatever. I still don't know what it was. Oh, my God. But you were right not to go downstairs because everyone knows that after a certain point in the evening, generally about 11, 15-ish, ghosts can't actually come to the second level. That's why the women in the horror movies always run up the stairs. Correct. And to be honest with you, if you really want to scare a poltergeist, have your period. This is the real surefire way of scaring a poltergeist. We've heard this more than once. And as I said, I'm still afraid that, you know, heading toward menopause, the poltergeists are coming on top of everything else. Just get the salt and do a protective ring of salt. <laughs> if, you, if the poltergeist is in the protective ring of salt, does that mean they can't get out? That's a great question. Yeah, we need to ring Morris Groves. We do. We need an expert before Halloween. We should ring the Society of Psychical Research. Hello, is this the Society of Psychical Research? <laughs> Imagine being on that call centre. Oh, my God. Especially around Halloween. What, do, what are you going to watch this Halloween? I know you said you're going to stay in and dress up, but what will you be watching? I'm going to watch Lovecraft County. Have you started watching The Haunting of Bly Manor on Netflix yet? No. Is it good? I like it. Okay. So I'm not giving anything away by saying very, very little happens, which is 
kind of more freaky because you're waiting for something to happen all the time. Or it works, yeah. Yeah, it's nicely done. Do you remember the hillside haunting? This is the second version, which is nothing to do with the first version. Oh, like American Horror Story, same team, different story. Okay, that'd be good. Different actors, but I mean, it's the same creation, uh, creative team. Thank you. Oh, um, Ratchet is out as well. Have you seen Ratchet? I loved Ratchet. Oh my God, I loved it. I thought Ratchet was also beautifully filmed. Like, I think, oh, you're going to love that. You have lots of great stuff to watch. Yeah, I'm trying to say stuff. I haven't had as much time as I normally have to devote myself to the horror genre. There's a very American murder as well, I think, is on Netflix. Yeah, I better not give anything away, but um, I was quite shocked by that too. And if you really want to terrify yourself, just um, watch I'll Be Gone in the Dark because it's our read yeah. I'll Be Gone in the Dark um, or have the audiobook play to you when you're trying to get some sleep. But yeah, so a lot to kind of be getting on with for your Halloween spooky time. Well, Tracy, that wraps up the Enfield Poetry Night. Thank God. <laughs> you can rest easy now unless your washing machine comes on. I know. Seriously, that was not... F- like at the beginning, My I definitely opened the door of my dryer so that it wouldn't make sound during our recording. And then as soon as we started talking, it went on. It's so strange. Nobody would believe me that that just happened. I believe you, though. I might be phoning you later. <laughs> I'll let you stay in my shed. sleeping in the garden tonight Um, so thank you and we'll talk to you soon and we'll have another episode hopefully of I'll Be Gone in the Dark next excellent talk to you later guys goodbye see you